And they've got to check out the, that the leadership adds up, right? So that the leadership has a sound plan in mind and is being realistic. And, um, and there's no harm in saying, hey, we don't have the, all the answers yet, but we do have the, we have all the critical elements, the case, the leadership, the prospects, the plan, right? Those are the four pillars that I always talk about. The case for support, the prospective donors, the plan on how we're going to do it sequentially. You're listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast brought to you by KevKayat.com. Kev helps nonprofit leaders deliver more impact faster and easier so they can be mission accomplished in 40 hours a week or less. For more information, visit KevKayat.com. Because good causes deserve better results. Now, here is the host of Nonprofit Problem Solver, Kev Kayat. Hello, and welcome to Nonprofit Problem Solver, brought to you by Yachtme, the virtual events platform 100% free to nonprofits, and powered by Pod Pro Audio, making professional podcasting easy. I'm Kev Kayat, and the sole purpose of the show is to help people running nonprofits. You are actually the nonprofit problem solver. You are the nonprofit entrepreneur working in your community every day. My guests and I are trying to make your job easier and more effective by sharing practical, tactical expertise that you can act on more or less immediately. You can find further support and resources by following me on social media or at kevkayat.com, where you can get practical, tactical advice on being the best nonprofit entrepreneur you can be. I finally had to take my turn with COVID, but thanks to the double vax, I was able to scrape enough energy to chat in a strained, scratchy voice with Lindsay Simons, who specializes in capital campaigns, those big special purpose fundraising efforts that take months of preparation and often several years to execute. If that sounds intimidating, you're not alone. But Lindsay reminds us that most people haven't done a capital campaign before. And even if they have, each one has so many unique elements that inevitably you're learning as you go. We talk about some basic starting points, how to engage your board and top donors, and critically, how to work out how best to present your case for capital funding to a wider community. Your why has to be convincing in order to get to the how and when. Okay, we're live. We finally made it. Uh, we were we just about it. to lose our Facebook uh, link. Um, <laughs> bit of technical difficulties with uh, with getting started. Welcome to Nonprofit Problem Solver. We are episode 56, and um, I'm sorry if I'm uh, a bit scratchy in my voice of just recovering from COVID. Bit of a scramble here at last minute. Thank you, Lindsay, for being so uh, patient in getting this uh, going. We are live on uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Uh, if you guys want to ask uh, Lindsay or I questions or make comments, please uh, throw them in the chat. Uh, even if you're watching later at another time in the future, drop a chat, uh, comment in, uh, uh, tag us, and we'll do our best to respond and keep the conversation going. Uh, let me just say thank you to my sponsor, YachtMe, which is the virtual events platform free to nonprofits, and uh, remind everyone that this is powered by Pop, uh, PodPro Audio, making professional podcasting easy. Okay, there we go. All the preliminaries ready. How are you, Lindsay? I'm good. I'm doing great. You know, um, thankful that I haven't had COVID yet. So I uh, sympathize with you, um, but everything's good. It's a cold day. I'm here in Denver, Colorado, and it's in the 30s this week. It's chilly, Willie. Ah, Denver. So I thought you were normally on the West Coast. I used to be in San Francisco. I just moved from San Francisco um, a couple of months ago. I was there for a decade and oh, right. New York, all over. I've been all over America, but um, I'm from Colorado and I decided to come back home. So it was, uh, I understand. It was long totally get it. time to get home and get to the mountains, get skiing. I'm into that yeah. skiing uh, style. So. Okay, so before we jump into the question about uh, a successful capital campaign, uh, just tell us a little bit about your nonprofit journey, aside from moving all over the U.S. <laughs> How did you get to where you are right now? And if you've got uh, 
an online um, presence. Tell people where they can find you if you've got a coaching program or or uh, courses to offer or anything like that. Then let us know about that, too. Great. Yeah. So I started in Colorado and I discovered that I had a deep passion for community service and just being a part of doing good and nothing against straight up earning money. But I was just really passionate about the things that I was doing that were you know, neighborhood cleanups or food drives or volunteer times, reading with kids, conflict resolution. And um, I credit my parents for that. It was definitely part of our ethos is just getting involved and being part of the community, offering what we could come up, came up uh, pretty middle class America, not really particularly uh, too wealthy or too poor, feeling comfortable, but always feeling like we had an abundance and wanting to share. And mm-hmm. um, so I was looking at what I want to do with my life as one does in college. And I bounced around quite a bit. I got into hospitality and marketing communications and uh, teaching. And then one summer, my parents were like, you should really think back to that company that you heard about back in college, CCS. And what they do is consulting for nonprofits and it's major gifts mm-hmm. capital campaigns. And so I had an interview. They offered me a position and the economy crashed. So it was 2008 and a position was taken away <laughs> as we were trying to figure out what was what was going on in the world. Um, yeah. Clients were pausing. Clients were you know, obviously stressed with this crisis that we all faced in the Great Recession. And then in um, 2009, I got started. And then I haven't looked back since. So I've been doing fundraising, consulting, and major gifts capital campaigns since then. And I was with CCS for the better part of a decade. And then I started my own business. And it's Lindsay Simons Consulting. I have been running that independently for a couple of years. And I work with other partners, other executives, and subcontractors alike. And I started a podcast, as you know, from our yeah. meeting up in clubhouse and uh it's called creating community for good and the idea is how are we all contributing in our own unique ways to society i have people talking about fundraising strategies and ai and cryptocurrency going into nonprofits but i also have people talking about art and small businesses and um, what it's like to be running a board so it really runs the gamut the idea is that everybody has something to offer and for those who are really conscious about contributing something whether it's in the for-profit or nonprofit space i want to hear from them i want to share the lessons just like you're doing share whatever we can to the community and um, you know try to create a little bit more connection between each other and, and enlighten each other and evolve and continue to learn and grow and so um Creating Community for Good podcast is where you can check that out anywhere you listen to podcasts. And uh, my business is Lindsay Simons Consulting. And I, I really do a lot of capital campaigns, but I do a ton of executive coaching as well. I sit in as interim leadership. I um, manage boards and board trainings. Um, I'm not, I am planning on doing a course. I don't have anything that anybody can go to yet, but <laughs> right. yeah, I, I've got a lot of ideas. It's just how I'm you sure. get it all done. Sure. All right? <laughs> I've got a ton of energy, but at some point you hit the wall. <laughs> right. Well, the key word there I, I heard you say was was community, and I think um, that's that's the key about Clubhouse. So for those uh, those of you still not ventured onto the audio app, it's uh, there's a great, great and growing community of nonprofit uh, coaches, consultants, and practitioners who are all working together to uh, just problem solve and support each other on a day to day basis. Um, I'm actually having to take the week off Clubhouse with my, with my voice, but uh, it, typically uh, I try to do a half a dozen rooms or so. And I know your room is about this time, and you ping me and I miss it because I say, Lindsay, I'm just about to do. My, my I'm always pinging you, and you're like, I am literally always in an interview. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, well, good news is I've decided to pause so that I can jump into other Clubhouses. So I'm pausing the Wednesday Clubhouse. But oh, I see. Great. Yeah. So I decided that it's a good time for me to jump into others and to support and rather than hosting because I am doing so many other things that I'm hosting. So it's, it's a pause for me, but doesn't mean it's the end. It's just a pause. And then I'll be another. Right. Like yours. Yeah, great. I will send you a list of all mine. You can uh, always, always love to hear your voice. And I think the uh, time the time zones might work better now that you're in uh, mountain time, isn't it, in Denver? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Great stuff. Okay, so let's dive into this issue. Let's sort of contextualize sure. capital campaigns, uh, particularly that you mentioned you were going into your first job and boom, this crisis in 2008. And yet here we are again, uh, yeah. the last couple of years uh, dominated by yet, yet more crises. Um, and so when people are thinking of capital campaigns 
right now and how they should be thinking, how they should set themselves up for success for, say, launching one uh, in 2022 or maybe something's gone stagnant because they started in yeah. just before at the start of the pandemic. I mean, where, where let's actually, before we jump into that, what happened, how did the pandemic really affect a lot of the capital campaigns that you were working on or you were uh, aware that people were planning to do? Did they just postpone them? Did they try and carry on as usual? Was it a bit of a mixed bag? What's the situation? Yeah, it was definitely a mixed bag. Um, so we had a huge amount of layoffs in the nonprofit space as well as for profit, as as we all know, right? So yeah. a huge, huge job loss. And that's going to take months to recover. We are not there yet. And now we're saying, uh, you know, people, news, news is saying that it's the great resignation, right? So now yeah. it's hopping around and especially in tech, there are tons of opportunities, there's tons of money. It's really an interesting time where there's a lot of disparity and the gap, the, the gap is widening, right? So we've got companies who have really thrived during the pandemic and they have innovated and created concepts or programs, products that we all want. And then you've got others who are entirely based on in-person interaction, events, a lot of nonprofits, a lot of like, you know, the arts, the culture, um, obviously the hospitals have been open, but they paused a lot of their surgeries and anything that was non-essential, they paused, which meant that they ended up taking a major budgetary uh, hit as well, as much as so mm -hmm. many people were funding medical uh, anything that was medical related, emergency relief was a huge, had a huge influx of cash right off the bat during the pandemic. But then it started dropping and we started looking at social causes, right? So we've seen a lot of trendiness in nonprofits and where the money is going. And we've also seen that there's extraordinary generosity from very few people at the top of the financial pyramid. So that generosity from the ultra high net wealth has made it so that America has seen more funds raised than ever before. But we've seen an increasing decline. So 20 million households, and I'm sorry, I don't have international stats, Kev, or you know, even right. in Europe. I, I am just going to rattle off what I know about giving USA. And yeah, I, mean, I think the, the proportionally, there's a lot of similarities. It's consistent. Yes. yes. And so we've seen that households have dropped. 20 million households in America have stopped giving to philanthropy. So this is sort of a, some of the context that understand the landscape of philanthropy. And what we're noticing with that is that the sustainers, that middle base that makes up the heart of most nonprofits revenue, that they've had to decrease their giving or they've stopped their giving. Well, it's awesome that we have this ultra high net worth um, individuals pumping money into the system. And now we're seeing skyrocketing numbers of dollars raised. We're seeing the lower and lower quantities of individuals contributing. So that's a problem. That's concerning. And we want to continue to increase philanthropy and generosity across the board at all levels. Now, how that impacts campaigns is that some campaigns absolutely stopped. Um, and what we've noticed and what I noticed from my experience from 2008 and 9 and then watching it in 10 and 11 recovery was incredible. Those campaigns that either pause slightly and then got going again quickly or just changed their plans, they are 10 times better off than those who stopped. So our well, it's just like uh, with fundraising generally that totally. with, with the pandemic, if you um, carried on, refined your plans, but didn't stop, you were right. going to be in a much better position than if you took a pause. That's right. I mean, it's just like an engine, right? You know, if you turn everything off and it takes a whole, let's say it's a, a, an entire building and you, it takes the time to turn every single system off. And then you want to turn every single system back on. It does take time. So if you can just keep it humming and slow things down or figure out where you need to pivot or adjust, then you're much better off. And so we found that with the capital campaigns that I was running and others in the space that I'm in touch with, um, got a, quite a vast network across the country and some in your home uh, country as well that are looking at trends and what's worked and what hasn't. And those who stay the course are far better off now than they are uh, than they would have been. And those who pause than they are now. And did did you have you found uh, that people have been more modest in their ambitions for capital campaigns on the, on this presumption that there's less money or less giving, or have they just adjusted the timelines to 
raise their targets? I've seen um, both timeline adjustments as well as case for support adjustments. So it's not just the capital campaign. Also, it's professional development so that we can learn DEI. Or also it is figuring out how are we going to create a reserve for the future. I'm always, I'm big on that. So if you can reserve endowment, you know, something that's some cash saved away. We know that we know that the economy is cyclical, right? Like we know that this is going to happen again. We don't know what's going to rock our boat, but we do know that the economy goes up and down. And we have major drops in the economy. So nonprofits need to think strategically, just like for profits do and have reserves. I know that there's some who have a philosophy about 20% are on one side of the spectrum, the other 20% on the other side, and then the middle who doesn't think about it much at all. But the 20%, some on the, on the one end of the spectrum, they don't want money sitting around, right? They want all of that money going directly to the cause. They want to solve the problem that nonprofit is there to solve. And I can respect that, of course. But the other 20% are saying, well, yes, we want to do that, but we want to take put our mask on first before you put somebody else's on in the airplane. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, that's right. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And you've got to be viable, not just in six months from now, but in five years, if you actually want to have a marked impact. Now, some are emergency responses and those are just going to have quick hits. But for the vast majority of nonprofits, you should be thinking about it like a business and have some of the reserves. And so some of the cases for support and capital campaigns have pivoted to integrate other learnings along the way. But, you know, I will say today the economy is on fire and there is a ton of money out there. Not everybody's benefiting from it, but those who are really are. And money is growing really fast and it's got to be pushed through the system. So I am encouraging anybody who wants to do a capital campaign to think about activating it immediately because, a lot of economists are expecting that we're going to have some more rocky roads with the with the economy in the coming months, but we don't know when that's going to happen. For now, there's cash out there. There is a lot of cash out there and people want to support the causes that need it. Now, more than ever, hearts have been broken open. We have an incredible amount of empathy that the world has maybe not seen in, in decades. And while the the pandemic and the social crises and the financial crises have been devastating for many. And you know, I don't want to minimize that, but the, the silver lining is that people are a lot more empathetic and they want to see how they can support those around them that are struggling. Now, I like to think of the good side of things. So maybe not everybody feels that way, but right. there are enough, there are enough out there. And those who have the propensity to give, they're ready to give those who don't, don't right. worry. So are, slow and steady, but focus on those. Yeah, there, who there are people Sorry, Kev, go. I'm, I'm right, so it's not it's not a situation <laughs> where <laughs> I, I know we might have some um, signal issues there. So if I'm speaking over you, apologize. Uh, but it's clearly a situation. What from what you're saying is that no one should be shy about starting a capital campaign if that was in their plan, right? That's the, exactly. All the conditions for success in the in the economy and in the industry are still there. That's right. Yes. And if I if I could make a recommendation, so no on advice. That. No one's advising people to, to oh, don't think of your capital campaign. No, wait another year. <laughs> wait six. No one's saying that, right? You know, some are, but I'm definitely not. I had, um, I'm doing a feasibility <laughs> study, which right. is the pre- the smart money is ongoing now, right? That's right. You know, jump in and seize the day while we have it. And, you know, it's the end of the year. This is when... I think it's something like 48% of philanthropy is given during October, November, December. It's a great time to not only yeah. think about a capital campaign, but also act on it and ask some of your most loyal and most um, the lowest hanging fruit, not to be crass, but folks who are close to your network, talk to them today about potentially giving you seed funding for a capital campaign. So before you've got all your ducks in a row, don't wait to have everything perfect. Talk to a few people and just say, I'd love to get some support around a capital campaign. What we're going to want to do is hire a consultant, get a feasibility study going, line up our plans, our case, all the documents. But before we do all of that, would you give us a confidence booster and some fuel to get that going? Could you be an initial donor, a preliminary campaign donor that will jump the gun for us and make sure, ensure that we're successful? It'll create a sense of positivity, a sense of momentum, a sense of support. Um, people like to give where other people are giving. They want to see that there is a train that's moving and only a few people really want to be that first igniter. So talk to those first igniters and then see who you can get to 
to jump on board with you as you get going. It's interesting about the time of uh, the time of year because we're obviously in the middle uh, this early November. We're early, we're in the middle uh, in, in the height, if you will, of the end of year yeah. campaigning. Um, uh, just a, uh, a, a few weeks till Giving Tuesday, and and so on. And there's a, a challenge around cannibalizing your donors, which for end of year campaign and other things that you try during the year right. and the timing of it. It's interesting that you says that is is people using the end of year season as a way to seed interest or start the the um, process going for a capital campaign. Yeah, I think that's right. I think what you want to consider in looking at your whole book of business in terms of revenue generation, you've got your events, you've got your mailers, you've got your Giving Tuesday, your end of year campaigns. Then you've got your major gifts, your corporate giving, foundation giving, and then capital campaigns. So the capital campaign is the big behemoth, right? That's the one. Right, that right. Is, yeah, that's the big lift. And that's the one that you, you're not talking to masses. You're not doing capital campaigns, trying to reach every person right off the bat. That's more for your events and if you're giving um, uh, give you Tuesday. So go forward with those plans. Don't pause on anything else. Keep doing business as you do. Keep up with your mailings, your communications, your phone calls. Phone-a-thons are awesome. I'm actually really big on doing thank-a-thons in, in this time of year, more so than solicitation, mm -hmm. especially with those who are, that are, that you have any kind of relationship with, if they're truly just transactional donors who give online as a couple bucks, go for it, you know, blast it, do your marketing, do your thing. But if it's a, a relationship that is a longtime supporter or somebody who's a significant supporter or somebody you've met with, focus on the thinkathon, sort of segment your efforts there. And then the capital campaign is separate. So the capital campaign, you always want to start off with a few people first at that biggest level, because a capital campaign is really meant to be something that's an extraordinary effort. It's not your everyday operations. It's something really unique. It's a one time thing. It might happen another few years from now, but really you want to look at it as a a moment in time, not your day to day. It's an extremely specific time where you then, special circumstances, special circumstances. So, you know, Kev, I would say that you should focus on a handful of people. Now, I personally, I'm working with a client. I'm saying, let's let's look at our top 12 people, not not hundreds, but 12. Keep, right. keep going to your other hundreds and thousands and give them all the messages about the good work you do and end of your giving, blah, blah, blah. That's all good. But then just go to a handful and get that campaign started. Okay, so um, let me just let me just pause there just to say, it sounds then um, all things are full on go. So, so no pause, no matter what the economic circumstances are, if you've got to do a capital campaign, if it's part of your strategic plan, if it's part of this, if, if you are now approaching a situation of these, these, these special circumstances where, where capital campaign is it, don't pause, crack right. on. Right, So that's number one. Number two then is not to um, worry too much about it interfering with all the other contacts you have with donors, but treat it as this thing is special and start with, as you said, this is this is the key, like the key segment of your donor database is who are your top 10, top 12, top 15, and those are the people that you want to identify first. So that's the, nice. that's the sort of next thing. And then what is it you're going to do with those 12 to 15 people. Is this, uh, these are these are face-to-face, one-to-one conversations about your plan. Maybe they already know uh, if, about your strategic objectives and the fact that a capital plan is coming anyway. But if not, this is an opportunity to engage with them, tell them about it, hear from them. What do you? What is your first objective if it's not to get some seed funding? Is there is there something else you're you're trying to establish with these 12 to 15? Yeah, absolutely, and. While you're looking at the top of your pyramid for that 12 to 15, you might also integrate some of your most influential partners, even if they're not your biggest donors. People who have been supporting your organization for a very long time, they're intimately connected, or they're very influential, and they can motivate others. And you want to assemble this group, do one-on-one -on -one conversations, 
encourage their support. But then I would take the the secondary objective as you're asking, Kev, is it's not just for capital, but it's also for guidance. So I would assemble that group to say, you know, would you be part of a preliminary campaign executive committee or a steering committee, even better, a steering committee. And that steering committee is going to be about three months long as an example, but that's a good time frame. And what I like for you to do is not only support us, but also help us be part of this strategic thinking. So how might we then integrate and invite others to support this campaign? How might we tell our story best? How might we inspire extraordinary giving? Not anything, not, not the same way that people have been giving, but above and beyond, but not robbing Peter to pay Paul, continuing with the operating budget, continue with operating funding, but adding to it. So that's what I would say are your two biggest objectives. If you were to start literally today, I would say almost any organization that's got a well-oiled machine, it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, I know all, all, all companies, nonprofit or for, for profit have all sorts of internal muck that we deal with because we're human beings. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. But if you want to start tomorrow, you can find your list of 12 most influential and loyal and significant donors and have one-on-one meetings with them and invite them to give and to be part of the committee. I would make sure that they're giving first before you invite them to be part of the steering committee. Right. That's pretty critical. Like it's an entry fee to steering committee. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, I hate to be really crap. I don't even want to say it, but it's, it's I don't want to say pay to play. It's really not. It's just, I, I know I'm, I'm being facetious, but, support, right. Yeah. But, but, but right. But what you're, what you're really trying to signify is right. The, the level of commitment. And I think right. another interesting thing you'll find uh, is when you bring those people together and you speak to them one-to-one and then they, and they start to think collectively about how to tell the story better, how to inspire phenomenal giving, that sort of thing. Is it also distinguishing from other capital campaigns possibly happening in your community? Because an influential donor, for example, maybe, maybe you're not the top, priority for this particular donor, right. but they're well connected on other nonprofit boards in your community. They know what else is going on. They know who else is doing a capital campaign. So you you want to hear from them about how you can distinguish your own story because multiple capital campaigns are happening at once. Right? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. And I just adjusted my mic. Is this better? Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Keep going. Fine. Okay. Um yeah, that's exactly right. And I think what you want to do then, you can do a quick SWOT analysis. You can just say what's you know, what are our strengths? What are our threats? What are the opportunities? And what's it? Oh, wait, SWAT. Oh, weaknesses, strengths, weaknesses, <laughs> opportunities, threats, right? So you can do a quick thing. I mean, I'm a huge fan of feasibility studies first, but yeah. before you ramp up a feasibility study, if you're taking sort of the path that we're talking about now, where you're assembling a steering committee and you're getting some early indications and early gifts, and then you want to do a feasibility study, maybe do a rapid assessment or a SWOT analysis and just say, all right, who else is in the market? Who else is doing a capital campaign? Why are we extraordinary? Why are we different? What's exceptional about us? Just as you were saying, Kev. And so thinking about, um, you know, it's not a zero-sum game. That's the most important message that people who are, yeah, it's not zero-sum. People who are philanthropic and generous, they are doing that not because of tax reasons. That's like one of the lowest indicators of why people actually give. It's primarily because they're asked, number one, Number two, it's the impact of the gift. So if you can make a case that their money will be well spent and changing lives of others, whether it's the environment or, or school students, whatever it might be, you're going to be able to define a purpose and a reason that will be compelling for somebody to support you and the neighbor. And that's okay. okay. So what this is saying to me is I want to put a term on it. Yep. Uh, and you can push back if you don't like this word. Okay. But basically, you need a value proposition yeah, for totally. your capital campaign. And yes. where does that come? Because we've, we've, we've identified a couple of things you're going. I'm wondering, though, should the value proposition not have been clear earlier on in this process, for example, as part of the strategic planning exercise that generated the acknowledgement that we need a capital campaign? campaign? Right. Is it at that point that you might not have the wording refined, but you, you more or less as a, as a board, as an organization, have to feel we are going to pursue this capital campaign because X and that's yeah. the value proposition. And again, you will want to refine that story before you take it public. 
but you got to be really clear about what you what you're doing and why. Surely, yeah. yeah. No kidding. Absolutely. And honestly, you know, I was saying you could start a campaign tomorrow. Yes, you could, but you actually do have to have your value proposition, right? So why, why go through the effort? A capital campaign is a huge lift and you don't want to fall into your face. It's one of those things you want to do slow and steady. If you, if you want to make impulse moves and decisions, that's sort of like the mailers. If you're doing tons of mailers, you're doing a mailer every month, you know, try different things out, do AB testing, but a capital campaign. Yeah. You've got to have your value proposition sorted out. Doesn't mean you have to wait for months and months and months and plan it and be perfect, like you're saying, right? You're going to refine it. It's a living and breathing document, it evolves. And that's just as you're delivering your services, your services evolve. But you should have your core mission, your core value proposition, and the core reason why you're going to need some really big gifts different from your operations. So it's got to be a really distinct point. Yeah. And what, how, how, I just want to dwell on this for just, just a moment because the, I think what what folks often have difficulty with the with the value proposition is that the reason they want the capital campaign, and I'm sure you see this every day. This is why I'm I'm taking some time to think about it because I think it's a key to the success part. Is that folks for them the the need for the capital campaign is self evident or obvious? Mm. It's like of course we need this building, or of course we need whatever it is, but it's just not clear to someone who's less familiar with the organization, who could be a, a perfect partner um, for, uh, or g- perfect donor. And so there's this disconnect between what the organization feels it's saying or needs to get across in articulating its value proposition and what other people are, the external audience is actually hearing. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does make sense because people talk, right? So if you're in a little network or community, they're talking to each other about your org and they build their own perceptions about you if they're not able to have daily meetings with the executive director or whatever it is, which they're not, right? That's that's usually, right. that's the way it is, right? You've got your spoke and the, hu- the hub and the spoke. And um, is that the right analogy? Okay, you get it. Moving along. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you do. So you have to think about... How are you articulating your case for support? You know it. So you know it. You're the executive director. You're the lead fundraiser. You're a fundraiser. You're a member of the the program. You're fighting for your funding that you want to expand your program, whatever it might be. You feel like you can really have a greater impact with a really big lift and a push of if, if there's nothing that's holding you back from serving more than cash. Yes. Go forward and figure out how do you articulate? Why are we so important? Why do we exist? And then... You know, your board knows all about it, hopefully, too. Hopefully, you're informing your board, talking with them monthly, having phone calls. But then, yeah, it's the wider community. Every layer that we go wider and wider in our community, they have less and less information and more and more made up stories, for better or worse, you know, not necessarily negative. It's just they have perceptions, right? So then I think what you're getting at, Kev, is your case for support. So having a document that outlines exactly why we're doing this, who's doing it, who's who's in charge of this thing? What's the leadership look like? Not only your staffing, but thinking about those core early donors, the executive committee, the steering committee, the champions who've been supporting it. You're building a case that says, not only do we have a rock solid mission, but we have an extraordinary opportunity that just requires cash. And then we will be in a new level of impact and service. And that we've got the right people teed up. We've got that third party endorsement, which is from funding of others. And, and we're ready to go. We've got a timeline. In your case for support, you should also say, here's the start, middle, end. Um, this is when you can expect to see the services delivered or the school open or the hospital serving new patients, whatever it might be. Okay, so again, just 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 to summarize here, because I'm trying yeah. to collect the points. So okay. it's, it's clear you're doing great. Thanks that. for distilling the keys to the success. Here. So once we get our we we you know we get our our segment of of donors and we we get a steering committee for three months or so, we want to have a clear value proposition, which yes. has probably come from what's generated the campaign anyway. But it actually then becomes part of uh, a clear case for support, which you develop with the help and aid of your steering committee. Yep. And then part of that also then has to be a clear timeline. So you have to have a realistic time scale of not just raising the money, but then converting that cash into the capital thing that you're raising money for. Yes, exactly. 
And that then, I mean, that becomes in some senses quite tactical, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yep. It does. And uh, I think it's it's really critical that your campaign strategy team is also meeting with your program delivery team and or a delivery team it might be construction, might be general contractor, might be architect if you're doing a building. Um, if it's the actual planners of a new expansion, you know, I, I work with I want to shout out to build.org. They teach entrepreneurship to high school students and they're when they've got a model that works. So as they think about how they expand, you need to be in line with the program folks who are saying, well, how do we win and how are we getting into what other schools or whatever geographies when and how are relationships getting built and then when do contracts get signed? So you need to look at the mechanics and the technical elements of the delivery. And that should align with your fundraising. And those could be really excellent natural benchmarks. So in your conversations with your prospective donors, you can indicate that we have a critical benchmark. By March 1st, we need to know if we're a go or a no-go so that we can hire XYZ contractor, right? That's an example. Or so that we can put a proposal together to XYZ decision maker. Or we can put some capital behind this. We can finance, you know, whatever we don't, let's say you've got a capital campaign, usually they're multi-year, right? Three, five, we're now saving in 10 year campaigns. I prefer mm-hmm. shorter campaigns. Three to five is in my, you know, my preference sweet spot. But nevertheless, you're going to be starting to get funding in the door today, but you're not going to see it all for three to 10 years. So then right. you might have to finance it. And that means that you're going to have another layer of decision makers and financing and debt debt pay, payoff, right? So yeah, capital campaigns are, it's nothing to sneeze at. It's pretty technical, but they're wonderful. When you can actually do them, pull them off in a coordinated effort, you can change your entire organization. Oh, yeah. You can go from here to there. But you then, I guess the the question I'm asking is, if you want as part of your case for support, a clear timeline, or as informed a timeline as you can, there seems to be a small window of time to put together that a realistic timeline as part of the case for support. So, you know, maybe it's a question of just a few weeks. How do you gather that technical expertise uh, if if it's not within the organization, and often it isn't because they've started it, they've grown to a certain point where yeah. they need now a capital campaign. It's yeah. almost always external advisors that, like yourself, that come in and can be realistic about framing a timeline that can go into that case for support. Right. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I think you don't don't be afraid of saying this is a preliminary case for support or this is a working case for support, a working goal, a working budget, working timeline um, in your early days until things get more concrete. But yes, in early days, you want to have I'm a consultant, so I've got to I've got to advocate for consultants. That's that's my job. That's what I do day in and day out is just figure out timelines and. I mean, you don't you also there's a if you're if you're sharing a case for support in a community of people who can genuinely support it. Yeah. Underlying that has got to be some credibility. Totally. Right. You can't just say, um, oh, yeah, we're going to raise. $16 $16 million in four weeks and then have a building ready in nine months. Yeah. No one would believe you because yeah. it's bonkers. And, totally. and I use that example only because it's self-evidently bonkers, but yeah. you know, to the informed observer, they can, they can criticize or scrutinize a plan and say, yeah. your, your numbers here don't work. Your timelines yeah. don't work. This is not a credible plan. I don't, you know, and it sort of questions the validity of the whole enterprise. Yeah. And it can derail it. Right. So once you start yeah. seeing too many holes in a plan, you start thinking, wow, like, does this team really have what it takes to do something this big? And should I be putting this big of an investment in, you know, for capital campaigns, we don't really think about gifts or donations as much as investments, capital investments. Yeah. And it's, it's not a, it's not a return, you know, it's still a nonprofit, still a donation, you still get tax write-offs. But I think the mentality is a little bit different. It's a little bit more business-minded. It's not sort of your extra change. Um, it's not an impulse decision. It's usually something that, you know, for really big campaigns, 
individuals who are asked to give at extraordinary levels, they're they're talking to financial advisors, they're moving money around, they're making plans, they're having family meetings, they're thinking about what can we afford today? What can we afford in years to come? How big can we go? That's the ideal framework or mentality, right? So if you're doing it right, people are thinking hard. You're, you're hopefully asking for something that somebody says, let me think on it rather than sure. Yeah, here's my, here's my check for a thousand bucks. You know, that's, that's great. We need that too. At some part of the campaign towards right. the second to end of the campaign, but the very beginning, you're probably aiming really high and people need to think about it carefully. So they've got to see a bulletproof plan and they've got to check out the, that the leadership adds up, right? So that the leadership has a sound plan in mind and is being realistic. And, um, and there's no harm in saying, hey, we don't have the, all the answers yet, but we do have the, we have all the critical elements, the case, the leadership, the prospects, the plan, right? Those are the four pillars that I always talk about the case for support, the prospective donors, the plan on how we're going to do it sequentially. And um, what did I say? Leadership. That's the last one. Right? Yeah. And that's yeah. something we didn't, I mean, in a sense, just like I said, the value proposition sort of comes before we get to uh, the segmenting your donor base for your top yeah. 10 or whatever. Uh, the leadership, I think, again, is um, it's a tricky one because yeah. there are, I'm sure, several organizations who want to embark on a capital plan uh, and can probably find the donors and the and the plan and and everything, but actually don't have the leadership to, to pull it off. That's, and that's right. between the board and the executive team. Right. I mean, who's who's whose call is that? How do you how do you address that? Well, um, interesting question. How do you, whose call is that? Um, I think that goes a little bit into capitalism. Like if you don't have it, people aren't going to show up, right? If you don't have a good product, people aren't going to buy. Yeah. You know, and, um, it's, I guess it's part of the, the, the case for support again, presenting a, a legitimate case, yeah. um, you know, those first 12 donors that you speak to one-to-one if they're saying totally mm, you know you guys are a pretty fresh organization this is probably too early in your yeah. existence to be embarking on something this ambitious yeah that's probably code for we don't believe you can pull this off totally and i think that f- most so ex- capital campaigns not everybody's done them right a lot of most nonprofits have never done a capital campaign and right. even more of course by the numbers of individuals have never been a part of campaign let alone led a capital campaign so it's okay if you're that leader and you've never done it before and i think the best thing to do is lead with that integrity and transparency to say hey First time re- leading a capital campaign, but I do have what it takes. I've got the grit. I've got the moxie. I love using that word. I think that's really what's required. It's uh, I, I have a whole other conversation on actually, you know, the we are for good pro. I would yeah. I would love to plug that a little bit because we are for good pro. Is it like the Netflix for nonprofit learning? Um, easy to access, low barrier to entry. And I do a course there on the hero's journey and how the capital campaign is really like a hero's journey. And imagine that you are that hero. So whether you're the executive director, you're the board member, you're the admin person supporting it, but what is your role and how do you line up your allies, go into battle, recover, dust yourself off when you have a misstep, which will happen in every capital campaign. And how do you go back into the, to the courage and the battle of surmounting that goal and that challenge. So sort of a long way of saying Kev, that it's okay to be that, that person who's at the beginning of the hero's journey that says, this is new to me. I've never done this before. I need your help. I want your guidance. I want you on the inside. Also, I have what it takes because I've got that courage, that moxie, but also I've done X, Y, and Z in my life. So think about what transferable skills you do have in terms of accountability, reliability, um, integrity, uh, experience with the nonprofit space. If you're a first time nonprofit executive director, or maybe you're the founder and you want to establish a capital campaign, that's harder, but some people are prone to do that and to be successful. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I love, um, 
you know, one of my dear friends, Bart Skrupa, he was the founder of Groundwork Opportunities and now Mobile Pathways and love to shout them out and support them. But he was a consultant and he had a life changing experience and decided he wanted to go into instead of the for profit consulting, go into creating an organization. And what he said to people was, I've never done this before, but I've got what it takes and I'm willing to do the work. Join me. And those words, if they're real, that's enough. That's enough because not everybody has to be an expert at capital campaigns in order to be successful. But that's when you would want to hire, you know, you can hire people to help you or you can assemble an awesome board or an awesome committee. Yeah. Yeah. And and part of, I think the other element of the leadership um, as we draw to a close here, has got to be the, the steering of the organization as the capital campaign develops from point A prior to campaign launching to a point B or probably C or D or E uh, right. where the capital campaign is coming to fruition. Uh, the money's been raised, the building's been built or acquired or whatever the capital campaign funds are for. And the organization has a new, uh, bless you. <laughs> Did I, Continue. Am I my germs through, <laughs> through six time zones or something? Um, but so what I was saying is that the uh, the the leaders taken the organization to this new destination. It's a new identity in yes. a sense yes. because it's at a different scale. It's yes. doing something bigger, ideally yes. better. Yes. Um, and that that challenges leaders just to do that. Never mind yes. handle any of the the capital campaigns. So I think there's a yes. lot of leadership dynamics there. Too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think uh, if you are going into a capital campaign and you don't have a professional coach or a awesome board chair or just somebody that is your champion, you should find one because it will test you. A capital campaign will test you. It is truly I do really um, I love this uh, presentation that I've got on We Are For Good Pro on the hero's journey. I mean, not to be you know, self patting myself on the back, but just the analogy to me makes so much sense that it is, it is going to be a battle. You're going to have good days and bad days. You're going to have people doubting you, saying negative things, telling you that you did it wrong and telling you how to do things better, even though they don't, you know, they don't run the organization. They've never done it before. Maybe it's a finance person coming and telling the nonprofit executive director, you need to be doing things all differently. And, and it's like, well, hang on. Like I do this every day and you've never done it before. So it's important to not have an ego, right? It's important to say, okay, I hear you. Let me learn from you and your different experience, your different vantage point. Let me tell you what I can and can't do. Then it's upon the leader to say, this is what I've taken from what you've shared and I will execute on it. But those things I cannot do. And there are reasons for that, which you either explain or you don't, but you have to be able to make decisions as a leader. You've got to be discerning and you've got to have fortitude. You've got to be able to let that, you know, let the naysayers talk, hear them, empathize, you know, acknowledge, and then let it go and move forward. And let it go. And let it go. Every every capital campaign is going to be different. Right. And it's yeah. own. It's got a, some unique features totally. because it's a, you yeah. know, one organization, certain collection of people, certain objectives. Um, and so you just have to accept that. That you can't predict how it's going to go no. and just just approach it with some humility and give yourself some grace and allowance to to learn as you go. Yeah. And I think communication is key to that. So I would say that that's one of the most important things as you're thinking about how do you organize your workflow? It's how am I communicating? When am I communicating? So am I doing small meetings? Am I doing mailers? Am I doing newsletters? Am I putting banners up? You know, in capital campaigns, we always recommend starting off really quietly and slowly until you build momentum and you've tested that this is really viable and that you've got significant funding to boost up that that big lift. And then you start inviting more and more people in sort of like an annual campaign would. So going from your private or quiet or silent phase into the public phase, you're going to want different layers of communication. So I would not announce a capital campaign to your entire community today. If you're just getting started, I would keep it quiet until you've got that momentum and you know that this is a soundproof and bulletproof project that people are supporting. But with that communication is critical that everybody in the company and the organization knows the party line, as I like to say, right? So it's, what are we actually saying? If people ask us, if people start gossiping about the campaign, that's not bad. That's okay. But you need to say, 
you know, yeah, we are in the middle of something, but we're not ready to share it yet because we're still aligning it. We're still planning it or we're still getting, um, you're still clarifying objectives. Clarifying. Thank you. Thank you. I'm like, where are my words? Yes, that's right. That's <laughs> right. right. So the final thing then I'll tell you, this yeah. is the final, the final point yeah. uh, is to have a, a clear communications plan or strategy, how, are, how you're going to uh, communicate with people, let people know what's going on, keep them up to date and, yeah. and help them give them opportunities to participate internally and externally internally is most important i think at first because that's usually yeah. missed okay that's fantastic Lindsay, remind everyone how they can find you online sure so lindsay simons consulting.com um i'm pretty active on linkedin i'd say that's the best place for somebody to reach me can you know, DM me there. I'm pretty responsive. Happy to talk with folks who are interested in capital campaigns or executive coaching. Um, I'm looking at putting together a retreat in the new year. That would be, uh, yeah, an executive retreat and or board member retreat that would draw people like you, Kevin, hopefully all across the globe. But um, the idea would be let's go deep. Um, So coaching, all that. yeah, that's how you can find me or go to the We Are For Good Pro and find my my uh, presentation there, uh, The Hero's Journey. I think that'll be released in the next couple of weeks for anybody who's doing a timestamp on this. It's early November of 2021. So um, would love to share that and check out my podcast because that's pretty robust. I've got, I think I just hit 50 episodes, actually. I'm right on your tail. And right. that's Creative <laughs> Community For Good podcast. It's a hobby. It's a passion project. It's um, something that I just love. So yeah, check it out. Yeah, that's how. You, yeah, that's that's who I am. I'm pretty accessible, but yeah, I love what I do, and I'm happy to serve the community and be part of the be part of the solution contribution. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today um, and putting Thanks, up Kev. with my um, wheezy voice. No. <laughs> you were um, great. Thank you for interviewing me. Thank you for giving me this time to talk. I, I'm a talker, so I love that. Well, I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> sorry you. we've missed it. So we've missed, we've missed uh, spending enough time on Clubhouse because our, our uh, we've had a uh, clashing commitment, but I'm sure we'll be able to resolve that. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Lizzie, for, for joining us. This has been a nonprofit problem solver, uh, the live weekly podcast. Uh, and we will see you next week with uh, Julie Safier Whitman. Uh, Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast. My guest today was Lindsay Simons, who you should follow on LinkedIn and visit her website, lindsaysimonsconsulting.com. This podcast has been expertly produced by Glenn Munoz at PodPro Audio, making professional podcasting easy. Go to podproaudio.com. You can join future conversations live by visiting nonprofitproblemsolver.com. Connect with Kev on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. For more information, visit kevkayat.com because good causes deserve better results.